don't forget, you're going to die. Welcome to the We Croak Podcast. This is your host, Hansa Bergwall. And today we have someone special for you. Jaron Lanier is a writer on technology and how technology shapes our world. He has some extraordinary book titles on my shelf, like uh, Who Owns the Future and The Dawn of the New Everything. And today we're going to be talking about his new title, 10 Arguments for Deleting Your Social Media Accounts Right Now. It's some compelling and disillusioning stuff about how social media and our addiction to them is changing our world and not for the better. And then after that discussion, Ian and I are going to regroup and talk about uh, how we did with uh, some of these ideas, how we're putting down boundaries and not putting down boundaries with our social media. So stay tuned for that. And if you've been listening to the We Croak podcast for a while, just want to say thank you. And also thank you if you contributed on Patreon. We are making some uh, purchases because of that to vastly improve our audio quality, which will take effect in the next couple episodes. So stay tuned for that. It's about to get a whole lot clearer. And thank you. And without further ado, here is Jaron Lanier. Jaron Lanier, thank you so much for joining us and for talking about your book. 10 Arguments for Deleting Your Social Media Accounts Right Now. Yes, thanks for having me on. Yeah, so when I first heard the title of your book, it reminded me a lot of Henry uh, David Thoreau, who said, the cost of a thing is the amount of what I will call life, which is required to exchange for it immediately or in the long run. And by that standard, for a lot of people, including myself, our social media accounts, besides being marketed as free, could be the most expensive things in our lives. Yeah, how do you how do you think about social media and how expensive it is really to us? Yeah, that's a really interesting question and you could say that one of the functions of money is to create a new sense of what's valuable that is in accordance with some sort of larger standard than one's own <laughs> and that might be for the good or the ill depending on on many details. But uh, the true cost of social media is certainly, as you said, the hold it has on people. And, and, and here, you know, we have to say that it's different for each person. People are individuals and they have very different stories. And I would expect there to be a kind of a statistical distribution where some people do well with social media. And for them, it is time well spent, uh, using the phrase from Tristan Harris. And then uh, for mo for the average person, it's not. And for many people, it's terribly not. Um, but I mean, one, one little detail worth noting is that even in terms of just pure cash, if that's your standard instead of Thoreau's more enlightened standard, um, so far as we can tell, most people are paying for a higher tier of data service than they need to, mostly just to support the behavior modification industry, to send data back, to receive ads, to maintain, um, you know, ghost connections to thousands and thousands of spying services. So all of us are paying, I think we came up with $20 a month as an average cost that people are paying just to fund the bandwidth for these people who are trying to manipulate you, not for what you actually see. So, you know, the, the true cost is hidden and it's very high. Wow. And you make an argument in the book that I found really interesting because so many of us are complaining about our phones. We're complaining about the Internet. Like, this is what is making us feel crazy. And you say, no, we can draw a simple circle around it. It's this particular business model that you call the, the bummer business model. Yeah. And it has perverse incentives. So can you just share with our listeners what is a what is a bummer business? Yeah, I had to come up with some little acronym because it was getting repetitive to continue to say behaviors of users modified and made into an empire for rent, which is what it stands for. So what it is, is it's a way of making Internet services appear to be free. And it came about because there was this feeling in Silicon Valley from the left that everything should be free. No one should be excluded. Everything should be totally accessible to everybody without any friction. But then on the other hand, we also loved entrepreneurs and tech businesses. And the only way to get those two together was the advertising business. But the thing is, the advertising business gradually became more and more sophisticated until it turned into what I'm calling bummer, the behavior modification business. And that particular business model, I believe, is the problem if you 
look at the services that create addiction, they tend to be the same ones that have this business model. If you look at the ones that, uh, oh, let's say Vladimir Putin's um, intelligence warfare units infiltrated, they're the same ones. It's really all about this business model. There could also be legitimate complaints about whether it's good to have little glowing smartphones on one's person all the time or all kinds of things like that. But all of those are just details in comparison to the big problem of having a whole society based on behavior modification, where anytime people communicate, it's financed entirely by third parties who might not announce themselves, who want to manipulate those people and who are often terrible actors. And and that, that's the worst problem. That's the thing that makes our elections um, disreputable. It's the thing that makes people angry and nervous all the time. It's the thing that is uh, creating this increase in just irritability in our society. Yeah. And, you know, your first argument in the book is that these bummer businesses such as Facebook and Google that are monetized through advertising and manipulation make us lose our free will and that, you know, the result is massive statistical addiction. And Addiction is one of those words, like we know what it, what it means, but there's different kinds of addictions. You know, there's, there's opiate addictions where, you know, your addiction could send you into an overdose and die quickly or make you homeless, uh, or there are some very severe consequences right away. Then there are addictions like caffeine where, you know, even people who struggle with addiction and are in recovery will just say, well, there's really no consequences except maybe a little anxiety, you know, to keep drinking coffee. It's not a big deal. And then there's ones like, you know, cigarettes. They don't necessarily make you crazy, but in 20, 30 years, you might get terrible cancer. Um, so what are the, like, when we talk about addiction, you know, it's, of course, we know it's about habit forming, but it's also about these consequences and costs. And what kind of addiction is our social media habits forming? Like what, if we do this another 10 years, what do you think is going to happen to all of us? Well, if we want, there are a few different ways to compare social media addiction to other addictions. Um, technically, in terms of the mechanism of addiction, its closest uh, cousin is gambling addiction. In fact, it's so close that the, the online gambling industry was complaining and even threatening to sue for a while over the use of techniques that they considered proprietary to themselves. Uh, although that, that turned around when they realized they could use social media to find the easiest marks for their own businesses. So it's a, using behavioral modification very much as what happens in a Skinner box where you have algorithmically generated experiences, positive and negative, that are guided by measurements of how you behave, which is why the surveillance is so important. And if these things are carefully tuned over time, some statistical predictable block of people will be moved to some statistical degree so you can modify people but to get that you need to get them on the system a lot and the way you addict them is um well the, the term of art is dopamine hit um as as was put by sean parker the first president of facebook and uh, what you do is you have these slightly unpredictable occurrences uh, positive feelings when you're retweeted or whatever it might be, but spaced out with a bunch of negative ones where you fear being uh, ganged up on or humiliated. And that's the same pattern as happens in gambling. And it, for various reasons, it grabs the brain. But, but that's only the technical description. You asked about the consequences. And the consequences in this case are, I've, I've developed a language to describe them that because there really wasn't one. And I talk about whether you're a lone wolf or a member of a wolf pack. And so what I argue is that it throws you into the mentality of being in a wolf pack rather than being a lone wolf more often. And that's not always a terrible thing, but it often is. So and what that means is that you're thinking politically instead of about your real world. You're more worried about other people adjacent to you or competing packs at a distance. You become sort of entirely political instead of only partially political. And then there's, <laughs> I guess the other thing I really want to include in comparing it to other addictions is that I think the comparison is actually hopeful because society has dealt with uh, mass addictions that were deleterious in the past. And the two examples I like to bring up are Mothers Against Drunk Drivers and the campaign to ban public cigarette smoking. In both cases, you had large industries that supported mass addictions that were harmful. And eventually, it was possible for common sense 
to take hold. It didn't happen instantly, but it did eventually. And we've saved countless lives by discouraging drunk driving and cigarette smoking in public. We didn't outright ban cigarettes and alcohol, but we did create a tremendous societal good. Yeah, and I think that is a hopeful example. And maybe you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I got the sense from reading your book that there's sort of this implicit argument, but based on, you know, that it's making you, one of your arguments is it's making you lose your grip on truth. Another that it's making you into an asshole. Um, that basically you're saying that if you use these, you know, algorithmically powered tools that are trying to engage you with negative emotions for long enough, they make you delusional, probably also irritable and angry all the time. Like they make you crazy. Is that basically like the risk is you go a little nuts. Yeah, um, this whole business with um, wolf packs versus lone wolves is is an attempt to have like sort of a general unifying theory that covers all those things, whether it works or not, we, we shall see. But yeah, I think people definitely become more irritable, more incitable. They become, they become insecure. They become mean. They become insensitive. They become um, weirdly self-obsessed. And I mean, this pattern of behavior is one that's extremely familiar in our time. Um, it was first named something else. It was called the uh, poor little snowflake syndrome. And that was when it was observed in leftist college students by people on the right who wanted to um, ridicule them. But the thing is, it, exactly that pattern is what happens to anyone with an addiction. Uh, we see it in Donald Trump very, very clearly. He's not somebody I've ever known, but I've at least uh, met him a couple of times over a long period of time. And he didn't used to be, um, he was as bad, at, in my opinion, in terms of ideas as he is today. I think he, uh, but that's, in terms of his character, he was uh, more in on his own joke and less insecure and less irritable. There's definitely a difference and it makes people blurt out incredibly stupid things that they're stuck with. Um, another recent example is Elon Musk who um, got into this Twitter thing about um, one of the rescuers of the boys that were trapped in a cave in Thailand. And, and this is like ridiculous. I mean, like, why, why would he do such a thing? And it's his addiction talking. And so that is the consequence of this addiction. It changes you. It makes you lose yourself. It makes you do things that you regret. And in that sense, if the underlying technical process is similar to gambling addiction, I think the external behavioral results bear more more similarity to alcoholism. Yeah, that's that's really interesting. And I think people are starting to, to figure this out. I mean, I hear about it all the time with the WeCrook app. It's one of the main things people honestly use it for is to get off social media for a minute. And when I went to buy your book in the bookstore, the, the clerk who was helping me said, oh, I don't need 10 arguments. I deleted all my accounts last week. And, you know, I was like, oh, really? You know, why'd you do that? And he said, I was just tired of all the external emotion, were his words, of being prompted into something else. And I talked to my therapist about it, a weekly thing. He's like, uh-uh, I don't use that stuff at all. They're using CBT, uh, cognitive behavioral therapy techniques, to change behavior. I use them for therapy. They're using it to sell stuff, and it creeps me out. Yeah, that's entirely accurate. And, yeah, it reminds me... Like, it just creates needs that aren't there. It reminds me, when I was in high school, I lived in Spain for a while, and there was this rather crude expression called no me da la gana, uh, which basically meant, like, don't make me want that. You know, don't, don't try to get me to desire something that I don't already want. And it was also sort of like an uh, meant fuck off, uh, in a sense. And, this, you know, I feel like... I, I have to say, that's, that's, that's uh, perhaps the least obscene expression from Spain I've ever heard in my life. <laughs> yeah, it wasn't the worst one. But it was this sort of honest appraisal that, you know, sometimes desire and wanting something could be an icky emotion, that it could bring you down. Yeah. Which I don't think we have that sense in America often enough. And it seems to me that, you know, these are incredibly powerful machines that are just filling our heads full of, you know, things we may not need that now we want. And I... <sighs> This business about whether they're needed or not, I feel, oh, God, it, it's so frustrating to talk to people who are convinced that what they're, they're getting benefits and they need this stuff. And, of course, it's not my place to judge anybody else, and I don't really know anybody else's life and I, and all, all that, with all, with all those caveats. Oh, for God's sakes, I have a successful career as a writer and a public figure. 
maybe I could be more so with social media, but I'm certainly doing as well as a lot of people. And it's not even the only thing I do. And I, I just don't think I'm that exceptional. I just, I just, I think especially uh, journalists have become just addicted to Twitter in mass and they just can't imagine. They're sort of creating this backfill explanation that of course we need it. Of course there's no choice. I, I don't think they're correct. I think there is a choice. I don't think they need it. Yeah. So make the argument, because I've already, you know, basically taken the Facebook app off my phone, although I still have an account. I can check on my desktop. I use Gmail, which, you know, isn't quite social media, but it is part of that bummer business model that you bring out. Like, how do I, if I wanted to, you know, what other emails do you recommend? How do I stay connected? How do you stay connected to friends, events, things you want to do? Okay. Well, you know, the first thing to say is that if you have any Facebook app installed at all, you're subjecting yourself to constant surveillance, which is then sent through a thousand stealthy channels and will affect things you see all the time, even when you just walk in a store. So you should really delete those entirely. Google's complicated because their policies have changed and they're different tiers of relationships with them and whatnot. But in general, um, Gmail started as a spying machine where your email was read by algorithms um, and then um, services were sold to people to influence you. And Google has created a sense that Gmail isn't all that bad a thing. But the, it's actually kind of it's hard to know exactly where the boundaries are. So I would think it's best to to not use Gmail. You ask me what I do. And, and here's another thing where I find it sort of strange that people find this difficult. I mean, the internet kind of naturally does almost everything that these services do. It's just that they sort of captured network effect around them so they've become hubs for things that just happened anyway. So I don't want to recommend a specific email service or anything. And the reason why is I also do my science at Microsoft and I have to be nonpartisan when I talk about these things, including criticizing Microsoft, which I'm happy to do. So, but anyway, but anyway, I'm not going to get involved in recommending specifics, but basically just something that where there are, aren't algorithms reading your mail. I mean, of which the majority of email tools out there, including a great many, do not read your mail. I mean, it's actually not that hard. And I think you'll find many services that will not read your mail. And as far as connecting with people, just plain old email is still a person-to-person -person thing supported by the basic internet that doesn't have a big advertising manipulation scheme behind it. Similarly, if you want to get information out there, you can put up a website. That's what the internet's for. Like, why, do, why does everybody have to do it on social media sites? You can just make a website. It's a public resource. You can do it. It's not that hard. There's a zillion hosters that are ethical and it's inexpensive these days. And there's a zillion tools. Um, if you want to just message somebody, this might change with the fall of net neutrality in the U.S. But if you send a text from phone to phone just over the, you know, the telephone supported texting system, currently that isn't read and turned into behavior manipulation. That could change. But so far, that's true. Um, and I could go on. I mean, uh, if you want, if you if you want to have invite a bunch of people to a party, um, email is great. The difference between what you, there's a slight shift in convenience, but I mean, it's really nothing. Um, oh God, I mean, and and also like you should exercise your brain a bit. It's time well spent just to exercise your brain to figure figure out ways to do things so that you're not just given the method of life that's that some corporation designed for you. It's really not that hard. Um, be a lone wolf. Just figure it out. So, wow. Um, we and can I say something else? I want to point out something else that's just empirical. The people who tell me they're the most addicted are the same ones who are crowding into the, the fashionable cities, and they're the same ones who are paying insane rents. And why, why do you have to be in New York or San Francisco? What's so special about that? Well, it's because you're around other people, and they're, thing, they're opportunities you don't get otherwise. And so the thing is, if cities still have that value then social media isn't giving you that value. I mean, this is pretty clear. Like, you, it's obvious that the real value isn't even coming from social media in the first place. It's just latching on to the real value, which is you connecting with other people. So I, I just, uh, anyway, I, I think the whole thing's a big, a, a big setup, a big scam, and I think you can drop it and still be happy. Well, that, that's a, you know, big statement. You know, we started this conversation with saying the true cost of something is the amount of time it takes from you. And I imagine taking on Facebook, Google, and the whole bummer business model might take a lot of your time. Why is it 
worth it to you to spend so much of your time in life trying to fight this thing that so many people are doing? Well, remember, um, I believe Thoreau's quote wasn't that the the true cost of a thing is the time it takes for me, but it's the life it takes for me. Is that correct? Yeah, that's correct. Yeah. Those are two different concepts. Time is a linear, monotonous, um, quantitative thing. Life is a qualitative thing. So working on a project, even if it's an effort that's meaningful and that has moral, aesthetic, spiritual grounding and um, is pushing against the edge of what goes on in this reality of ours, that is life well spent. So the thing is, like, let's say right now, let's say somebody spends an hour to set up an email account that isn't spying on them. And then that means that ultimately they save a thousand hours in the coming years because their, their time isn't being wasted by stupid, addictive, manipulative systems. So you could justify that hour on a sort of utilitarian equation and say, well, they invested an hour and got a thousand hours back. But that's not even the right way to think about it. They put in an hour acting as a real individual, acting as a person, finding themselves, making decisions, taking charge, being real. That is more valuable than any any numeric calculation about hours. Yeah, beautifully said that it's the meaning and the purpose that makes it worth it. And that, you know, if you could vanquish this dragon before the last, you'd be pretty proud of that. <laughs> well... Yeah, um, I am so sorry to say, I think I have to kind of go. Yeah, this is the moment. Thank you so much for joining us today. Once again, uh, your book, 10 Arguments for Deleting uh, Your Social Media Accounts Right Now. Highly recommend it. And uh, yeah, thank you so much for joining us. The end is nothing. The road is all. Willa Cather. And I am your host, Hansa Bergwall. And I'm Ian, the editor of the episodes. We pick every single quote you see in the app. Thank you for your suggestions. We also read all the books of every guest you hear on here, and we'd love your suggestions on more guests. But right now, head over to wecroak.com and hit the Become a Patron button so that you can get your own Live Immediately mug or you can't take anything with you when you go tote. Just join up because you probably or maybe you use the app or you listen to this podcast and we need to hear from you in order to keep doing this stuff. There's nothing we enjoy more than working on this really cool podcast. I hope I hope that comes through in uh, each of these episodes. And we are you know, enthralled with doing it and want to keep finding ways to do this sustainably for as long as, uh, well, until we croak, so to speak. Did you just commit us to working on this podcast until we croak? <laughs> as long as our amazing users, Hansa, want to put up with us, then I think I think we could find some way to make this work. <laughs> okay, okay. Well, if you can join us and you let us know that you care and that you want these to keep coming, we'll keep doing it. That's how this works. So do head over there and we'll keep having these conversations. And we're really sort of laughy and trying to have fun in these commercials because we go in deep and I think I've like even pretty much held back tears a couple times in these conversations but that's kind of what happens when you think about death a lot you have like pretty strong and beautiful emotions all the time it's not just about feeling happy all the time or feeling sad it's about feeling the whole the whole rainbow the whole universe of emotions and we are so happy to be trying to do that as much as we can with our little podcast and thank you so much for indulging us and for and for listening so far and uh on that note here we go back to the conversation welcome back to the we croak podcast so uh jaron lanier had to go and it's actually you know a little over a month later and ian has joined me and we're going to talk about social media what we think of Jaren's arguments and uh, what we think of, uh, you know, are we losing our free will because of Facebook and other bummer applications like it? So, uh, Ian, we've had a little bit of time to think about it. And uh, after our conversation with Jaren, uh, do you still have your social media accounts? I do, unfortunately. And, you know, anyone who's 
interacted with Hans and I about about the podcast or about the app, you know, you and I, we both still have our, our Twitter accounts intact. I have actually made it more difficult for me to use Facebook, but I haven't deleted Facebook. I've put on this thing called two-factor authentication, which forces me to have to get a text message on my phone in order to log into Facebook. Oh, wow. Um, and so it, it cuts out of the sort of, oh, let me see what's going on and let me click around. And so instead of that, I have to be very purposeful. And it's, it creates this natural pause point where it's like, all right, well, do you really want to do it? Do you really want to find your phone, get the message, type in the code and, and do it? So I, I like doing that. Wait, so hold on. Tell everyone how, how you set this up because I didn't even know this existed. Like, what, what is the service? Certainly, yeah. So I'm, I'm using a, a service that's going to protect your identity um, on the Facebook platform for you know, in a way that wasn't anticipated. So there's this thing that a lot of companies do called two-factor authentication, where when you log into a website to like check your email or check your Facebook, instead of just saying, hey, you're logged in, it says, we wanna be sure that this login is you and not coming from some other you know hacker trying to get into your account. So we're gonna text you a phone, text your phone a, a message that has you know five digits on it and type those digits into this little box in the Facebook login window. And now we'll know that it's you because Facebook has your phone number, um, obviously unfortunately. Um, and so you do that and usually just do it once because once you do it once, you check the box afterwards that says save browser. Do not do that if you want to try this. Um, so type in the code and check the box that says do not save the browser. And this will mean that every time you next try to go into Facebook from that device, whether it's your phone, your laptop, iPad, it will force you to log in again and force you to, the other key part to remember is you have to log out when you're done using it. So it's a little cumbersome, but you know I find that it, it cuts down on my sort of usage of Facebook when you're going in you know, and to, to pull that lever to see if you get that little hit of dopamine um, just by making it, you know, the fact that it'll take 30 seconds instead of making it instant makes me use it less. And so I, I love it. Um, I've been using that for a little while now and it's, I think it's great. So if someone wanted to do this, you just go into the privacy settings in Facebook and it's in there somewhere. It's either in there or when you first log in, um, like if you log out on your device and then try to log back in, it will prompt you. Um, it should prompt you with this if you've turned on two-factor authentication. So if it's not on, go hop into the settings of the Facebook, either app or website and, and turn it on and you'll have to walk through the process. Now I will caution you. So Facebook does not just use these numbers to make sure that it's you. It actually came out in an article the last week of September that these phone numbers are not just used to verify that it's you. They actually end up in the hands of advertisers within a couple of weeks of them being used. Ah. So this goes back to this sort of central thing is like, all right, well, sort of try as we might to purpose these entities for good, you know, because of the incentive structure that ads compel them to, to do they're ultimately gonna feel compelled to, to give my phone number away to advertising groups. So it's it's half a solution, you know, still the ultimate the ultimate solution is to delete your Facebook and uh, and write an email or uh, or make a phone call. So that's really interesting. So I also did not delete my Facebook account, although I did delete the app from my phone and following um, my conversation with Jaren, uh, I also deleted Instagram from my phone just because I think it's creepy. Awesome. And I don't, I think I still have an Instagram account technically because I didn't go through the effort to delete the account and everything on it, but I don't even know how to lock back into it right now and I don't use it. Yeah, I deleted it after after listening to Urin and his conversation. I deleted the app from all of my iPhone, my iPad, um, again, just to make it a little bit harder to, to do, just drop down the opportunistic opens when you're just killing, killing time. I took Facebook off my phone just to make it, like you said, a little bit harder. Like I actually have to go to a desktop to log in now or on the browser, the web browsers, just so that it's, you know, a less good experience so that I use it less and I do use it a lot less. As for the rest of the stuff he talked about, I still use Twitter and I still have the app on my phone. I still use Gmail and Google. Um, you know, to actually do what he asks us to do, it's a lot, you know, and it, there's so many things like invitations to events and communications and stuff like that, that, you know, it's hard to totally tune out of this model, even when you kind of believe all of his arguments, beginning with, you are losing your free will. 
Certainly. And it's, it is so hard, you know, all the, the we croak emails, we all run on, on the Gmail platform, um, for example, or did you ever, um, play the trick Hansa, on someone where you would send someone an email to someone in their Gmail account, but you would write some text at the bottom in white, so they couldn't see it, um, for something really odd and specific. And so all of a sudden they would start seeing advertisements for this thing that you had written in this invisible ink start popping up all over their their Gmail and whatnot. This was a great trick that we would try to play on each other in, in grad school to try to make ads for ridiculous things appear on our, our friends' machines. So it's yeah, it's very obvious what these folks are doing if you're if you're onto them. And I think maybe that's the central piece of the book that a lot of us could actually do is just being more conscientious about the hidden cost of these so-called free programs. Because if it's if the program is free, then it's not the product. We, as the human being, are the product, and we are the ones being mined and extracted um, for all the information that that we are worth. It's it's kind of weird to go through this thought process of reading this book and being like, okay, these programs make me lose my free will because, for example, I use Gmail every day. Uh, I know that there are algorithms that get smarter every day, reading every last one of my emails, and that when they have my attention, they're going to try to prod me with advertisements that were already swirling around in my head for somewhere, those kinds of products, and that will manipulate my behavior. And so I agree with that argument. I'm losing my free will from these programs. And yet a month later, I'm like, I guess I'm okay with that because I haven't like done the rather big logistical process of ending it all. And I, I don't know how I feel about that. Well, it's, you know, it's, it's so hard because once our data is out there, it's it's out there. And even if we were to delete our Facebook accounts, you know, the whole world would, all the advertising groups would still have our data. It's still copied, you know, on, on their service, on their servers. It doesn't just disappear because Facebook doesn't um, claim they have it anymore. And that's the real problem. It's it's so it would be so hard to truly claw back all of our own data. You know, is it really worth our, our time to do that? Is it better is our time better spent, you know, limiting these things as much as possible? And then going out and, and living the rest of our lives, which is much as much free will as uh, as we could possibly and uh, endure or enjoy, depending on your point of view. Yeah, it's just kind of crazy because I think he's entirely right about everything he says. I think it's making people insane in this country. It's hurting our democracy. It's uh, diluting our free will, uh, turning people into addicts. Like you see this kind of behavior all the time, and yet when it actually comes to getting entirely off there's just so many what feel like essential services coming through these platforms right now that you know even conscientious people like ourselves we don't do it yeah and i'm i'm trying to to stay positive and and take the longer view and you know technology is really hard you know i, I work in tech the technology universe every day um it's been that way for the last you know, 20 years and i think we need to change our expectations of you know, how effective we as humans are going to be at, at interacting with it. You know, we, our species and our predecessors first tried to start taming fire, you know, about a million years ago. And, you know, I, I live in California and every year our state is ravaged by, by fires. It killed 50 people back in 2017, cost nearly $20 billion. And if you look nationally, over 80% of all, you know, wildfires are caused by human beings. So this is a technology we've been trying to harness for a million years. It's done so many great things. It could get us from you know, New York to Dubai, halfway around the world in less than a day. But we still are trying to figure out you know, what's the best way to, to interact with it. And you know, behavior modification has is, is been around for many years now. And it's all about trying to <laughs> cope with that in the, in the world that we, that we live in. You know, I think WeCroak at, at one level is a behavior modification app. Unlike other apps, you know, we're trying to, I think, ultimately decrease your need for for something like that. If you can internalize thinking about death five times a day, that's great. Like uninstall it, perfect. But you know, I think other apps don't have that type of of mission because it's all about eyeballs and advertisements. So yeah, so we did make a choice when we we're making the app not to have a social media, a direct social media connection. If people want to take a screenshot and share it on social media, that's great. But we don't connect it or encourage people to go from a place of contemplating death to distraction and social media, even if though we know it would grow slower. So I guess from the beginning, we knew these spaces were troublesome and we've made decisions to sort of limit what, how much we, we use them, but it's hard to be like perfect in this world, right? 
I think maybe there's an 80-20 rule. I'm always looking for that. You know, what's what's something we could do to get 80% of the way there? Because um, that last 20% is going to take way too much work. So we should we could look at it and think about you know are we are we happy with our relationship with technology? And and if we are, then okay, cool. Um, then maybe we don't need to worry too much about it. But if 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 we're not, if we recognize that it's causing us problems and we're starting to get a sense of these hidden costs for all these free services, then let's do something about it. You know, we have to vote with our feet or, or vote with the ultimate thing in this, the advertisement universe is our eyeballs. If we open Facebook just once a week, that's going to you know, do a lot to send a message versus going through the huge amount of effort to you know, delete our entire account and scrub all the information out there. So maybe there's, maybe there's a way to get a lot of the benefit of it um, without the exorbitant cost that these network effect systems create that try to force you to stay in for forever. Yeah, I like that, the 80-20 rule. Because in terms of time spent on the platform, deleting the app from my phone has decreased my time on it by 80% easily. And so that's good. And the Gmail thing, if, if I do find it creepy that they're reading all my emails, but it's just too life-disrupting to, you know transition over right now because that's such a huge thing to get a new core email so i've just said okay you know to that sort of manipulation and then but i don't spend as much time that you know leeches value from my soul in gmail as i did on some of these other social media platforms primarily facebook so as long as i can get 80 percent of the problematic stuff out of my life i consider that a victory i'm i'm totally with you 100 i think you know i think we could pick our poison here the ultimate universe is one where, you know, we don't need smartphone apps and, and any of this stuff. We just are too busy going out and, and living our lives. But that's not a reasonable expectation to have. So, you know, maybe we don't need, you know, five different social media accounts. Maybe we only need one or two. And maybe if we only used it, you know, during certain times a day, you know, there's some new technologies now that let you limit when you could use certain apps on your on your iPhone or that will send you an alert and say, hey, you know, Ian, you've been watching YouTube all day for six hours, maybe uh, there's something else you better be doing. And it's a great little prod to, to do it. So I think, you know, having grown up a little bit during the social media revolution, I think we're now starting to see some good, healthy reactions to it. I think WeCroak's part of that. I think a lot of the the new things on some of the, the iPhone operating systems are a great reaction to that. I think there's new companies springing up and doing that. You know, Tristan Harris and his amazing work that he's he's doing. All these things are going to come together, and, and we're going to figure out a good a good way to to solve this problem. It's going to take a while. Hopefully, it doesn't take a million years. But I think I think we're going to get a, into a much better place eventually. So, his argument is that as conscientious users, we have a responsibility to get off these platforms because the bummer business model is making people lose their free will, manipulating them, and degrading our public discourse. That is a requirement to have a healthy democracy. You know, fake news travels six times faster than real news on social media, for example. People are self-radicalizing online in all sorts of crazy ways. People are spending their entire years like sitting in front of computers just being trolls. Think of what a waste that is considering, you know, how they could be spending their life in a way that's likely more in tune with their values. So that's happening. And, uh, you know, the more of us get off these platforms, uh, gives more room for new services that maybe have a different business model to arise and provide some of the functionality that um, is making these platforms sticky, like connections, events, other things, where maybe there's some sort of subscription model or something that isn't reliant on ads. We, absol we absolutely have to have to vote with our feet. And, you know, the, the money will flow in business to where, where the customers are. And if the customers, you know, start to fundamentally shift the way that they buy products, because if they look at, look at something and say, oh, well, if this is free, then there must, be, there must be some way that I'm going to pay for this later. And, you know, maybe I'll just pay a little extra and buy the full, um, full version with, with no ads in it. Um, so if we, if we start to do, to do things like that, it'll show the right... Um, data, because data is the decision-making tool that everyone's using these days. So it'll show the right data to the decision-makers to be like, wow, okay, people have fundamentally changed their approach to um, to how they interact with this stuff. But it's also really hard, you know, sort of self-radicalization and tribalism, you know, like these are things that have been with, with our species for, for forever. And I don't think the trick is trying to get rid of tribalism. I think, you know, we're always going to want to root for root for our team. I think that the trick is to 
try to find some way to repurpose these you know genetic things that helped us survive on the on the plains of Africa and help them and help us uh, succeed in the 21st century where the circumstances are totally different where things that helped us um, survive the last ice age are actually screwing us over here today and I think the key part is to be to be conscientious of it and once we recognize that there's an issue here then we can move on to actually going on to solve it whether that's deleting it um, which is the ultimate ultimate way to show uh, your disdain and um, how you truly feel and then replacing it um, you can't just delete it but you have to replace it with some other form of of discourse whether that's going to more you know town hall meetings in your in your community or you know joining the ultimate frisbee team or whatever it takes you can't just quit cold turkey and not replace it with anything and maybe that's the that's the sequel book that um he could start thinking about what what do you do after you delete all these things um how do you fill these um supposed voids in your life that deleting these things would theoretically create i know that facebook and their brethren are triggering all our worst instincts to drive engagement and that i think is the core problem yes and intellectually i agree i should vote with my feet and wait for something else to come up but it's you know a month later as i said and while i have limited my use more made it harder for myself to engage my feet are still in it you know i still check in and check the events every week in case there's something i want to do that weekend so i guess I guess for now, I'm just going to commit to the 80-20 rule that uh, I want to get myself down to a real minimal, you know, use, you know, use these things suspiciously and uh, vigilantly, watching out for any sign of it getting a hold onto my brain where I'm losing my free will and taking it from there. You know, I guess I have gotten entirely out of a couple of the platforms, such as Instagram, ones that weren't as useful to my life. And I feel pretty good about that. You know, every, I think every little bit helps. I think, you know, if some if some genius app developer out there found a way to make it so that every time you went to, you know, one of these bummer companies, a little banner would appear at the top that said you are being watched. I think that would do so much uh, to maybe uh, make our discourse at least interesting and maybe modify modify behavior. I think we, we got to be conscientious that we are being, we are being- Oh my God, we, we, should, we should make that. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Maybe that's uh, that'll be we croak we croak eight. Uh, we'll we'll have that somehow. But yeah, we'll just have a giant frog eye being like you are being watched. You're being uh, watched. It's dang it's da- it's dangerous out here in these these dark uh, dark midnight blue waters. Now, so I think we all have to to figure out how to work together to solve these issues. So if we if we change our behavior, we're gonna have to um, you know have a support network to do that. Other people who are deleting their Facebook accounts, you know, we need to get the network effect to get us off social media and into different different social networks. And I think I think you know as awesome it would be to delete everything. Um, I think it's not a super reasonable expectation to delete everything. And it would, in my mind, it's better to try to do you know limit your usage by half or 80% or whatever it is and to, and to hit that target versus trying to quit cold turkey and then having to relapse and then you know how bad would you feel um, having to do that you know I know I'd, I'd feel awful so let's let's pick our battles and uh, and let's win them so I guess we're convinced by his arguments he's totally right about social media and what this business model is doing to our minds and our society and yet the most we are willing and able to do is 80% right now and we'll check back later <laughs> to see if uh, that works or whether we need to do more. Yeah, I'm, I'm totally with you. I mean, we are we are social creatures. So there, it's totally unreasonable to say, okay, well, all of, you know, any form of social media is going to going to go away. You know, Twitter's a great platform, you know, for us to interact with users on an ad hoc basis. It's a way that we have, you know, found bugs and have fixed things. Um, so it's great. And I don't, you know, because it's so easy to use, people don't have to figure out what, you know, my email address is and, and ping me on it or send me a letter to my house, which someone did do. Um, one letter uh, was sent sent um, out of, you know, the thousands and thousands of emails that I've get. So that's the ratio, right? So these things do provide some great services that have been very beneficial. And so how do we, how do we repurpose them to do what we want to be doing and not what advertising groups uh, want want us to be doing right right i wonder like you know our app is about making people happy through thinking about their mortality five times a day 
And argument seven in Jaren's book is social media is making you unhappy. What would it take for a network, a social media network to be designed to make you happy? I think it comes back to that business model. What is the incentive structure of the, of the creators of, of this platform, of this app? You know, if it's to get your eyeballs, then that's, they're going to do whatever it takes to, uh, to do that. And it's, uh, it's a cutthroat and hard business to do it, which is why they go to such extremes to, to do it. So, you know, if we were willing to pay for our social um, networks, which is something that people have tried in the past, paid social networks that compete with bummer companies. And, you know, the one thing in common they all have is that they're all bankrupt because um, they didn't work. <laughs> and so that's, but maybe maybe they were too early. You know, the history of, of technology has a wonderful element of, you know, stuff will repeat and come back in different ways and be totally different the second time around. Apple's model of having a very closed system didn't work in the personal computer market, but it worked super great for smartphones. It just took it, you know, 20 years for that to happen. So maybe it's time for a new breed of reaction and evolutionary services to appear that will, that will actually fundamentally address these problems and, and try to make us happier if, you know, that is in their incentive structure to do. You know, maybe maybe there's some statistic on, well, happy people will spend more money on stuff, um, in which case, okay, uh, they need to find a way to make us as happy as possible. Uh, that would be that would be a nice business model. I could go for that. So I think if I was going to make a social media company that's goal or mission was to make you happy rather than to maximize your time and sell ads and make a trillion dollars. It would have to do a few things. One, it would have to be a subscription model based because it's about happiness, not about you're stealing as much of your time as possible. Two, there would have to be content moderation because, you know, uh, again and again in the philosophy stuff I read, you know, it's our delusions that make us unhappy because it causes us to live in the unreal world rather than the real one. So, you know, you just need some content moderation so that delusion doesn't multiply uh, exponentially online through these social media accounts. Three, I don't like the endless scrolling, looping, you know, getting you to maximize your time. I think the wall or something like this, the, the moderation has to have limits where you see a certain number of posts per day or something. And, you know, you, you're not constantly prompted to scroll for more that, uh, you know, you, you get highlights and you get endpoints, end natural endpoints uh, more quickly. And finally, uh, I think it needs to have a real world component where, you know, it is helping you and the people who maybe live nearby or work in a similar industry and live nearby to get together. Like that's front and center of like, you know, there's a meetup happening right in this spot today you know, X number of your friends are going, here's how you join. Like, so more like get to the real world, join these people, and maybe also prompts for creating sort of meetups and that you have like goals to do these a certain amount. And finally, I think some kind of commitment slash limit to the number of connections you have. Like actually connecting on one of these platforms would mean something, not just that you met once and uh, you you know, we're gonna look at post updates indefinitely of whatever crazy thing the other person says, but like your friends, you, or your work connections, or your this or that, and you're committing to like, you know, seeing what the other one is thinking about from time to time, or going to a certain number of events together from time to time, and that uh, you're not just keeping this like loose extra 500 connections of people who aren't really part of your life. I love that. I've become notorious amongst my, my friend group a number of years ago. I would periodically go through and purge of uh, my so-called Facebook friends because um, I, you know, sometimes I wouldn't even know who they were or how I had ever met them. And I think there's something in that lower brainstem of our, our species where it's like, oh, well, let me just collect as many things as I get. Um, and, you know, you never know when you might need it. And, uh, you know, that, that might serve us well in some circumstances, but... I don't know if that's if that's the, the truth for uh, for sort of bummer friends. I love that idea, and my my favorite though has got to be like the limited number of posts per day. Like if you have only 
10 posts per day from you know news sources or your friends that you're going to read, how excited would you be to, to get up in the morning and, and see those and say, all right, well, I've done the 10 and now, now that's it. There's no more infinite scrolling. I love that that's, that's so limited. Yeah, and I love the idea of people putting more thought into what sort of content they put up there. Like if you knew that basically like you got one post a week that all your friends would see and then, you know, the light isn't going to turn green for another week when there'll be room for in their wall for another spot uh, from you. You know, you're really going to think about what you have to say that week and maybe put more value into that. It's the right thing and that your speech will be more memorable and more important and that your words won't just be hot air. And, uh, you know, by making something limited and precious, you know, we increase its value. And I think that's what it needs. Like you need some limits so that, you know, if you are going to put something up on your wall that you want everyone you know to see, you know, you know you get one shot to do that in a certain amount of time. So you're gonna, you know, you're gonna maybe revise a little bit or you're gonna really think about what your friends really, how do you earn their time? I think that's what it needs. Uh, and when you actually think about happiness, you know, this actually isn't that hard. You could design for this. Um, all of these things like might just be a start, but it would quickly make the platform a much happier place and worthwhile and sort of warm and fuzzy. Uh, it's just right now they're monetizing off engagement and time spent. So they're triggering all our worst instincts to make money and it's driving people nuts. So listeners, send us your ideas for our new social network, uh, We Croak 38 that we are working on um, <laughs> as, of, as of this episode. Um, we need we need your thoughts. We need your ideas now. But but seriously, you know, this is we croak has always been about, you know, having conversations. So, you know, what would in your mind the greatest social network um, look like? Hans and I just hash some ideas out. What what do you think? Let us let us know. Or as always, talk talk amongst yourselves and and maybe, hey, maybe there's something actually that that we could build here. Um, you never you never know. But as always, just thinking about wow, this, uh, here's how things could be better is something that is so innately human and, uh, and so wonderful and has led us to such great, great heights. I think, I think we have to keep doing that. We can never be satisfied with how things are. They should always be better. And social media is a glaring, glaring space that needs to be a ton better. And we need your help to, to actually do that. Cool. Yeah. Get in touch. Let us know what your ideas, you know, let's find a way together world to build social media that makes us happy. I think that's worthwhile. You know, if you're in venture capital and you want to cut us a ridiculous check to make it happen, reach out. Just maybe we'll take that on and maybe not. It sounds like a lot of freaking work. Shoot us a tweet or uh, or email us at our Gmail accounts. Um, and yeah. <laughs> <laughs> really though, we're all just make it happen. I'm, I'm tired of this endless scrolling and people, you know, all capping just bullshit that I'm looking at. You know, I'd, I'd rather see things that uh, are thoughtful and worth seeing. Thank you for bearing with us as we tried out this new format. Please let us know what you think. And as always, thank you so much for your amazing reviews and your support on Patreon. If you haven't written a review or checked out our page, please do so. We'd love to hear from you. And until then, see you next week. <laughs>